Hello and welcome to the Bankers Podcast Series, Banking Under Pressure, interviewing industry experts from around the world to gather insights and advice on specific challenges, best practices and innovations that can help banks and their customers manage during these tough times. I'm Joy McKnight, Managing Editor of The Banker, and my guest this week is Yvonne Mahango, Sub-Saharan Africa Economist at Renaissance Capital, an emerging and frontier market-focused investment bank. Thanks so much for joining me, Yvonne. Thanks for having me. In an economic research note released at the end of March, you revised your forecast for Sub-Saharan Africa using the hashtag AfricaDown. But let's take a step back. How were the Sub-Saharan African economies faring before the pandemic's impact? So if we look at Sub-Saharan, the region that we uh, were most uh, positive about was East Africa. East Africa was growing at uh, stronger than 5%, uh, which was pretty good for the region. Um, Kenya in particular was expected to grow at around 6%, and you had low inflation uh, in Kenya, um, mm. which is a positive thing. You had accommodative monetary policy. Kenya had just um, uh, removed its interest rate cap, uh, which implied that credit growth was going to pick up. So the outlook for Kenya was really uh, promising, as well as for the broader East Africa region, which is also... Uh, had um, has been going through several years of infrastructure development. So that was expected to continue in 2020. With regards to the bigger economies, I speak to Nigeria and Angola. Those countries had, were still struggling to emerge from the previous uh, oil price collapse of 2014-15. At um, least mm-hmm. in Nigeria's case, uh, the economy had started growing again, but it seemed as though growth couldn't accelerate faster than 2%. It seemed to be stuck in that rut whereas Angola was still in recession. Um, so those countries, the oil exporters in particular, were struggling uh, to come out of the previous recession. Ghana um, in West Africa was having a pretty good start of the year. The currency was uh, the best performing in the world in the first couple of months of the year. They had managed to stick within the budget deficit target, which is commendable for Ghana, particularly going into an election year. And growth was expected to come out at around 6% this year. So now let's move into what's happened because of the crisis. Can you tell me sort of, you know, how has the COVID-19 crisis really started to affect the economies now? It's two ways that uh, it's going to be impacted. But first, it's the demand shock. So the fact that we've seen the global economy impose travel restrictions of various sorts, and uh, added to that, Sub-Sahara itself, as a preventative measure, has imposed uh, travel bans, refusing travelers from high-risk countries. Mm. And also, more recently, uh, controlling or restricting travel within um, their particular countries. Now, what that has implied is that you've seen a sharp drop in demand within these economies. And I'll pick Kenya as an example. Kenya would typically do well in an environment where the oil prices collapsed, such as now. But because this has coincided with the coronavirus, which has uh, the response has been a shutting down of borders. Mm. You, in uh, the export industry take a big hit. Horticulture is the biggest export in Kenya. Um, the head of the Flower Council in Kenya said shipments of flour to its main market, Europe, will drop by 50% this year. You're hearing um, flower farmers throwing away flowers. Uh, on tourism side, in terms of uh, Kenya, tourism, as you, as you probably aware, is an important mm. sector. And with these travel bans, it implies that uh, uh, occupancy rates have significant decline. Uh, essentially not having any tourist arrivals with the travel ban. So the coronavirus has had a mature impact, particularly on uh, countries that are heavily exposed to the tourism sector. 
um, as and as well as uh, generally for countries that are uh, exporting commodities to the rest of the world. But also, there's been this double hit, hasn't there, for the um, oil producing countries? You know, how has the oil price shock really added to this downward trend? For countries like Nigeria and Angola, this has been unfortunately um, the timing, and it's also devastating for them because, as you've rightly mentioned. Oil is the biggest source of um, export revenue. It's the biggest source of government revenue. And it's an important sector in the economy in terms of uh, driving economic activity. So the collapse in the oil price has meant a significant fall in uh, foreign exchange revenues for both countries as well as government revenue. Um, and at the same time, you have this demand shock. So you've got the economy is shutting down. Yesterday, Nigeria announced they're extending its lockdown mm. at least main cities there for another two weeks. Um, so you've got a sharp slowdown in demand. And at the same time, the market for their output or their main export, which is oil, is also in recession. As you're probably aware, um, the demand, global demand for crude has dropped by one third. And you've got, uh, you're hearing stories in, in Nigeria of um, cargo of crude uh, that's stuck in Nigeria and unable to sell it because demand has fallen. So mm -hmm. yes, Nigeria has been hit very severely, both by the fall in its, uh, the price of its main export commodity, but also by the fall in global demand for it as well. Which countries do you think in the region can really afford a stimulus program like that's been talked about in, in uh, other regions of the world? Let's put it this way. There's, the governments in our region have very limited capacity to provide some sort of stimulus program. And mm. part of the reason for that is because the buffers, uh, fiscal buffers, as well as the uh, external sector buffers, had not really been rebuilt following the global financial crisis and more recently the 2014-15 oil price collapse that uh, specifically impacted the oil exporters. And this is why you're hearing this huge drive and effort uh, for countries and the multilaterals to try and seek some sort of um, suspension of debt payments for 2020 and 2021, uh, because there's a realization that these countries do not have the capacity as they stand to put forward these measures that will, will on the one hand, uh, cushion the blow to the companies that are most affected and also um, uh, um, invest in the healthcare sector so that they're prepared when the coronavirus does hit their various countries. Um, so we're in that position whereby countries have approached the IMF, the IMF is in the process of dispersing uh, funding to various countries. Uh, one of the most recent was Ghana. I think just received a billion dollars yesterday from uh, the IMF. Uh, mm -hmm. But above that, we're hoping that they can also get some sort of uh, forbearance from their creditors uh, so that they can do as much as they can to cushion the blow on their economies. Okay. So which economy in sub-Saharan Africa do you think is most vulnerable in the current situation? The commodity exporters, and by that, I started by putting out the oil exporters. So you're, uh, Angola, for instance, mm. uh, I mentioned Nigeria, but uh, over and above that, the other commodity exporter I'm concerned about is Zambia. And Zambia, you're probably aware, has already started speaking to creditors about restructuring its debt. So Zambia mm -hmm. is a major um, copper exporter. Um, it accounts for around two-thirds of its export revenue. And they already were in a position where their debt was at a high risk of debt distress, even prior to this crisis. So this has really just pushed them over uh, the cliff. And then which country do you think would really fare the best? The oil exporters have been hit by both the fall in the oil price and the coronavirus mm. uh, demand shock. But the, um, the oil importers are just having to 
tackle the coronavirus impact. So mm -hmm. in their case, it's less of a blow. Um, so East Africa, once again, is in a relatively better uh, position. I'd say the other East Africa countries are less hit than Kenya, because Kenya, I think the biggest exposure there is because of its tourism sector. But other than that, East Africa should benefit from lower inflation. Uh, the disinflation impact of a lower oil price does help. Mm -hmm. And also from smaller current account deficits, uh, because fuel, which is the biggest import, does um, fall in terms of its composition of imports. So that does help. Um, unfortunately, the extent to which the benefit is undermined um, by the falling demand for their exports. But generally, I think the outside of Kenya, the rest of East Africa, I'm speaking of your uh, Uganda, um, your Rwanda and Tanzania, will be less hit than a Kenya. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for your insights, Yvonne, and thanks to our audience for listening. This podcast was recorded on Tuesday, the 14th of April. Keep up to date by subscribing to our weekly podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast, and follow our discussions at thebanker.com slash podcast. Thank you very much. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc., 